You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to you. Did y'all hear that musical chime? Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, I'm going crazy. Er, crazy er than normal. Um, so we'll just pretend we didn't hear it. Uh, several years ago, I don't know how many, this show started coming on called What Not to Wear. And I'd like to be able to blame my wife or somebody else that I watched this, but I have no one else to blame other than myself. So I stand before you taking full responsibility for my actions. But this show was based entirely on the idea that there are people out there who have no idea how to dress themselves. And somebody that loved them or knew them, their family, coworkers, neighbors, somebody would rat them out. And they would have like secret video footage of this person like, you know, going to work in their pajama pants or you could probably just go to Walmart and film and there you'd have it. But they'd film them and then they'd confront them. And this, the, the people that hosted the show, Clinton and Stacy, um, they would basically ask the person, do you want to, you know, do you want us to help you figure out how to dress yourself? And I'm sure maybe there was a time that somebody said no and we never saw that episode. But they'd spend the first like third or maybe even half of the show forcing the person to throw their clothes away. I mean, literally in a trash can. And they would spend that time like detoxing them, helping them unlearn whatever it was that brought them to the conclusion that it's okay to wear socks and flip-flops and yoga pants or to have an entire wardrobe of nothing but Crimson Tide jerseys and sweatpants. No offense. But so they would go through the, this whole process of, of having to help them unlearn how they're dressing. That's Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. It's Paul saying to the Colossians, you can't dress this way anymore. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't go out of the house looking like this, if you will. As a Christ follower, you can no longer wear these things. If you look back up in verse 5 there, he begins listing those things. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry. You can't dress yourself in these things any longer. You can no longer clothe yourself in anger, bitterness, slander. No mistake, we all used to dress this way, but not anymore. And Paul says you've got to do something about it. And he uses pretty strong language with this because he says that you've got to put these things to death. Uh, you've got to put them all away. Paul's words, he says, having put off the old self with its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So going back to something that we said last week, Knowing Christ is always going to lead us to living for Christ. Knowing Christ is, is going to always lead us into bearing fruit for him. So Paul has said, 
You can't dress this way anymore. You've got to take those clothes off. So the question is, how are we to dress? How are we to be clothed? Well, let's take a look. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to begin in verse 12. Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So in verse 12, Paul begins, if you read it in the NIV or in a couple of other translations, he says, as God's children, clothe yourselves. So right out of the bat, the first thing that we understand Paul saying is, you and I, at some point, we've got to learn to clothe ourselves. Uh, We hope this for every person and individual on a literal, physical, tangible basis. We all got to learn to dress ourselves. Well, Paul says this is the same spiritually. We all have to learn to clothe ourselves. No one can pursue righteousness for you. No one else can do that. Now, maybe you've heard someone make this statement before. Um, I've heard it a lot. Maybe you've even said it before sometime in your life. But I've heard people several times throughout my life make the statement or the assertion, my faith is private. Like, oh, my, my relationship with God, that's a private thing. I don't really talk about that with other people. No, that's not how it works. Uh, in fact, that's unbiblical. To go further, we can say that that whole idea is unchristian. Um, there is nothing about the Christian faith that is closed off, isolated, or private. It doesn't work that way. However... If someone said to you, my faith is personal, absolutely, amen to that. I will give that a resounding yes. It's very personal because no one can grow you closer to the Lord. No one but you can determine to have faith in God, to trust Christ, to seek after him, to follow him. You and I, we have to be the one for ourselves to determine I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to pray. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to follow after Christ. So as Christ followers, we have to learn to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We've got to learn to clothe ourselves in righteousness. What does that look like? Um, What are we to put on then, as Paul says? What are we to be clothed with? Well, he tells us. Look with me here in verse 12. He begins with saying, put on then compassionate hearts. You and I are to clothe ourselves in compassion. The ancient world, the day and time where Paul was living, when Jesus physically walked on this earth, the ancient world was merciless. Um, The aged The elderly, the sick, the terminally ill were very, very often discarded and pushed aside. 
one example of this, you and I, I mean, we still know what this means today because I think that at some places in the world there may actually still be leper colonies. People have a terminal illness. They're shoved to the side. They're pushed out. We don't want you anywhere near us. We'll bring you some food, say hey from a distance, but you're going to have to stay away. It was not until Jesus came, it was not until Christianity that the elderly, um, that the widow, the orphan, the terminally ill um, began to be brought back into society. Christianity initiated this compassion. And so Paul says this is how Christ would respond. So we must clothe ourselves in compassion. Next he says, clothe yourselves in kindness. If you're my age or older, you probably remember those really ancient relics that we used to have called video cassettes. And we'd go to Blockbuster and we would spend an hour and a half deciding which one to rent. Um, And if you came home and you got it out and it wasn't rewound... You really sat there and you thought, what kind of horrific human being brought this back and didn't rewind it? I mean, what a jerk. And it's kind of funny to me, you know, be kind, rewind. If that's the height of our kindness, we're in trouble. I don't really think rewinding your video cassette has anything to do with whether you're kind. Maybe you're just lazy. Kindness, though, what the heck is it? Uh, The only way I really know how to think about this is if you and I think through how we act in any given day and we walk through the places that we go, whether that's work or the supermarket or out to eat or wherever, do you smile at people? Do you acknowledge people? Do you speak to people? I know that we walk into like Publix and we think that every, you know, checker, that that's their dream job. And, and that they came to work that day going, I love work. And, and, and they don't necessarily need us to walk through the line and bless them. But maybe, maybe we should just shock them with a smile and a, how are you? Uh, the person waiting on you in a restaurant. I know it's mind blowing to us, but it's possible Um, They've had some rude customers. Maybe a kind one would just blow their mind. But just think about how you walk through your day and how you treat other people. Do you recognize that they're there? It will make an impact on them. Paul says, man, a little kindness goes a long way. Clothe yourselves in humility. Humility is the absence of self-exaltation. Think about it in these terms. I know we hear the word humility and we go, yeah, I got it. I know what that is. Well, think about it in these terms, though. Um, You and I, we all have a spotlight. And every day, we're going to determine what to shine it on. Um, We may, in any given day, because we're living in the flesh, feel like I need to shine my spotlight on all my greatness and my successes. I need to make sure everybody around me knows what I've done, what I've accomplished, who I am. Or maybe to the other side, we feel the need to shine that spotlight on somebody else's weaknesses, shortcomings, and failings. 
That's not humility. Paul says, take that light and shine it on Christ. And as you're doing that, you may even feel him compel you to shine it on someone else. Um, Their potential, their strengths, affirm them. But you know where this really all begins, the, the ability for you and I to even embrace or seek after humility, it begins with our understanding of who God is and who we are. King Solomon, who we're told is the wisest person to ever live, he was wise enough that when God asked him, what would you like me to give you? He said, more wisdom. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, You are God in heaven. Solomon is basically saying, you are almighty, eternal, sovereign God over all things, and here I am on earth. That's Solomon's way of saying, you're God and I'm not. Well, our ability to even seek after humility begins with that understanding. That God is over all things. And that As great as his mightiness is and his sovereignty is, his love is just as great for you and I. And he's going to take care of us. And he doesn't need us to shine a light on our greatness. He doesn't. Paul says, be humble. And then he says, clothe yourselves in meekness. We don't use that word a whole lot. We're a lot more familiar with the idea of gentleness. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again this morning. This is a hard one for me because I have a vast wasteland in my rearview mirror where I did not understand gentleness. And I was a bit of a harsh human being. What I have come to the conclusion of is there are very few instances where harshness, first of all, will make you or me more Christ-like. There are also a few instances where harshness will edify or encourage anyone else. I've really tried, just to make myself feel better, to go back and find maybe some instance where that was the case. I'm coming up dry. But here's, here's where I think we make the mistake. A lot of times when we're harsh, it's because we... We think somebody else did something or they didn't do something and dadgummit, God's put me on this earth to tell them what they did or they didn't do because if I don't, then they're not going to realize it and then they're going to do it again and you get where this is going. It just goes in this big vicious circle. It kind of goes back to humility that somewhere along the line we think, I'm God and I got to do something about it. We get the idea that if we're not harsh, then we're weak. And even though meekness rhymes with weakness, they're not even like cousins. Because gentleness is nothing close to weakness. It's actually restrained strength. Gentleness is the ability in those moments where frustration is like it's right there. Maybe anger's banging on our door. Maybe bitterness is is whispering. In those moments, it's the ability to go, nope, I'm not going to walk there. So don't mistake meekness for weakness. They are not the same thing. Now, Paul moves on. Clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
patience. Do y'all want me to even talk about this one? I mean, is there really even any need? I really have nothing on my notes. I'm like, where do we go with this one? The only thing I would say when it comes to patience is maybe we should all just corporately this morning say, thank you, God, that through the power of your spirit, somehow you can manifest patience within us. Please do it. Because if not, we're all dead in the water. We all want what we want, and we want it now. We got to get over it. We got to slow down. Paul says, clothe yourself in this. He also says to clothe yourselves in forgiveness. Go back with me and read this one. Verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I want you to notice something. This is the only one where Paul comes and points out that the Lord has extended this to us. Has Jesus had compassion on us? Anyone? Yes, absolutely. Has Jesus had patience with us? Oh, heavens yes, he has. But Paul doesn't really say anything about that here. However, he gets to the forgiveness thing and says, I want to remind you of how Christ has forgiven you, and that's how you are to forgive others. Maybe Paul understands that you and I at times have a bit of trouble forgiving. But think about this. I mean, I know that I need the compassion of God. I know I need God's kindness. I know that I need his patience. But if I don't have his forgiveness, where am I? I'm in trouble. And Paul says, you and I, that we're to forgive. We're to hear each other out. We're to bear with one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And then he finishes and he says, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together. F.F. Bruce, famous New Testament theologian, he says, love is the grace that binds all the other graces together. Paul, over in 1 Corinthians 13, what we actually call the love chapter, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, without love, everything else comes unraveled, unhinged, and it falls apart. You can ask God for all the compassion and the patience and the humility and the kindness that you want to, but if you don't have his love, then it's all going to come apart. Love means that I lay myself down for the sake of others. So Paul, he says, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, forgiveness, love. And then when you do this, this will be the result. Look at verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we choose to clothe ourselves in righteousness, Paul says some things are going to happen here. First of all, he says that the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. We really, really need this. The word that Paul uses here, rule, this is the word that you would associate with what you would describe an umpire doing or a referee. So in a a game, you've got two teams playing against one another. And for lack of a better way of putting it, let's just say conflict arises in games, right? Um, In baseball, a pitcher throws a pitch, a batter thinks that was not a strike, and the umpire says, you're wrong. In basketball, a guy wants the ball, tries to take the ball from another guy, he hits the other guy in doing it, the ref says, that's a foul. Within us, our emotions are always at war against the truth. They are. That's why in Jeremiah, God tells us that the heart, which is not the beating, pumping organism within you, organ, um, it's the emotions that weave you together. The heart is deceitful above all things. Your emotions are going to come to war against the truth all the time. And the peace of Christ is there to say, hey, I know how you're feeling, but your feelings are lying to you. But now, here's how we get to the peace of Christ. Paul says, clothing ourselves in righteousness, that the next thing that happens, the word of Christ will dwell in you richly. Paul is saying that the word of Christ will equip us for every good work. It will consume us. It will overflow out of us into thanksgiving. But here's something to put together. If you and I are walking through times where the peace of Christ is not ruling in our hearts, it could very well be because we're not allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Maybe our emotions are running away with us. Paul says that they go hand in hand. They're married. You can't separate the two. The peace of Christ will dwell in us will rule in your hearts. The word of Christ will dwell in you richly. And then he wraps it up by saying that the name of Christ. Paul's words are, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying that the name of Jesus Christ will be a banner over all that you do. When we think about the peace of Christ ruling our hearts, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, the name of Christ being a banner over us. Nowhere should this be more prevalent than in our homes. Verse 18. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Turn a few pages back with me into Ephesians 
I mean, it's literally just a few pages back. In Ephesians 6, Ephesians 5, Paul goes into a very, very lengthy um, session talking about husbands and wives. Um, Ephesians 5 and 6 are a much more lengthy um, conversation, if you will, about what Paul's talking about here in Colossians 3. He begins by addressing husbands and wives and speaks very, very powerfully about how marriage is a reflection of the gospel and of the church, of Jesus and his bride. Well, here in chapter 6, verse 1, listen to how it parallels Colossians. He begins by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And now listen to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. When I was reading through this last week, if I'm being honest, this question kind of came to my mind. Reading Colossians, reading Ephesians, kind of want to ask Paul, why are you picking on dads, Paul? I don't know if you noticed, Paul seems to have honed in on, very specifically, on the fathers here. What's up? Has Paul got a beef with fathers? Why is he specifically addressing the fathers? Let me tell you why he's specifically addressing us. Because he has placed on us the spiritual leadership of our homes. And that is an enormously significant privilege and responsibility. Paul is saying here, fathers, you've got to be the ones to discipline and instruct your children. But don't mistake, that doesn't mean that you're going to abandon loving and nurturing them. In fact, it will mean more of that because in disciplining and instructing them, you will grow and learn to love them and nurture them as well. Fathers, we have to be the ones to determine first and foremost what, more importantly, who our children are going to be discipled by. This is incredibly relevant because right now there are a lot of things that want to and are offering to disciple our kids for us. Right now, a lot of kids are being discipled by devices. And now you may, you know, argue, well, now, wait a minute, Brian, you know, those devices are not willfully, you know, leading my child along. Um, I would maybe argue with that because I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting on my computer lately and I would swear to you somebody's spying on me because I'll get on Facebook and I'll all of a sudden go, wait a minute, how does Facebook know I was looking for boots on Amazon? My wife must be spying through Facebook or something. No, it's like somebody is watching me. You know what? They're watching your kids too. And they're two clicks away from porn. I want to let my kids' friends know, you really better watch what you text my son and my daughter, because I'm going to read it. 
I had a girl look at me like, you're crazy. And I looked back at her like, no, you're crazy. (laughs) Our kids' friends are discipling them. Every moment of our lives, we're being discipled by something or someone. We've got to determine who that's going to be. And it's going to take work. Make no mistake. Lots of work. We're the ones responsible, not just to tell them how to dress, but to show them. We've got to be the ones to teach them. Yeah, this is how we used to dress. These are the things that we used to put on, if you will. This is how we used to think, how we used to act, how we used to speak, how we used to live. But we don't think and act and live and speak that way anymore. Because Jesus has changed everything. Jesus has changed our whole wardrobe, if you will. Go back with me for a moment to what not to wear. Yes, they would take these people and make them throw all their clothes in the trash. But you know what they did after that? As superficial and materialistic as it is, it is. They would teach them as an adult, here's how to clothe yourself. But then you know what they would do? They'd give them a $5,000 debit card and say, now, go and be successful. See, you and I can't just say, okay, great. I'm supposed to stop being angry and start being loving. We can't work that out on our own. But see, here's the good news. We are to clothe ourselves in the righteousness of God. Christ has supplied the righteousness. Jesus has called you and I out of the grave, said, I want to take you from death to life. But as we go, you need to take those grave clothes off and burn them. Turn with me for just a second back into Ephesians. I want to close with this this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 22. And again, here Paul in these two letters is so powerfully paralleling what he's saying. Ephesians 4, 22, Paul says, Put off your old self. It belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Put that off, put it to death, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, it is a daily spiritual death and new life. It is effort on our part of saying, today I'm going to die to myself, I want to live for Christ I'm going to put off anger. I'm going to put off bitterness. I'm going to put off immorality. God, I'm going to put on your righteousness. We cannot do that on our own, but thank you, Lord. He has supplied the righteousness. Let me ask you to bow your head. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, our desire is that your peace 
would rule in our hearts. Lord, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, but Lord, we know that that's going to happen when we allow your word, Lord, to dwell in us richly. We thank you that your word, it doesn't come back without return. God, through the power of your spirit, your word never just goes out into oblivion. It is always piercing, touching, transforming, changing. So Lord, will you give us the the wisdom today? Will you give us the discipline to seek you, to, to place our lives on your word. To daily let it transform the way that we think and look at the world. And Lord Jesus, we pray that your name, the name that is above all names, that it would be written over our lives. Lord, we thank you that when the Father looks at us, he sees you. Lord, we pray that when the world looks at us, they would see you. Lord, that our lives would be the living, breathing hope of the gospel. Lord, here we are on Father's Day. We just proclaim that you are so good. Lord, we know that we would never we would never even know how to love if you have not first loved us. In just a moment we're going to respond to the Lord in song. I want to encourage you, if you need to come to the cross or to the steps, just make that an altar. Please come. Lord Jesus, we proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We lift you up this morning. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. 
If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.